If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. Telling a story in virtual reality, how do you script that? This is actually a story with a plot and narrative beats that we need to ensure that the player hits all along the way, but at their own leisure. And that story is designed to put you right in the middle of a scenario based on one of the most terrifying classic horror movies of all time. Filmmaker Douglas Neighbors is the founder and CEO of Los Angeles-based virtual reality publisher FunTrain. And FunTrain are the creators of the Exorcist Legion VR, an intense immersive experience combining a murder investigation with interactive elements of exorcism and suspense in an episodic game format. Douglas, how did you first get inspired to make the creation of entertainment your life's work? Wow. Well, you know, as a kid, I was always a movie fan. I mean, my father raised me on movies and my parents were always, you know, movie kind of fans. And I think that I knew that it was something I was always drawn to as a kid, entertainment in general, right? So, so I mean, I was, was sort of raised on movies and television, if I can say that, and I don't get in trouble from my parents. But that's basically, I just got the bug when I was really early, and I got involved in, you know, theater when I was a kid, and then went on to, you know, film school and tried to pursue that as a passion. My parents were really supportive of that, and because they're both medical professionals, so that's just sort of the path I seemed to take. And then, and I knew that I wanted to be in entertainment somehow or in some form because I loved it so much. And, and I, you know, I'm from North Carolina. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. And I decided, you know, if you, if you want to grow potatoes for a living, you move to Idaho. If you want to be on the stock market, you move to Wall Street. But if you want to be in Hollywood, you move to California. So I packed up my bags after college and I came out to California and began this entertainment And tell me the story of the VR becoming a viable means of entertainment. How'd that happen for you? Yeah, well, I came out of a television and film background here in Los Angeles, and I've been in that for some time. And about three years ago, I'd always been a technology fan and a virtual reality follower since, gosh, since the 90s almost. And I'd seen many kind of false starts and stops in the technology, but I never really saw it as a viable entertainment medium. It was just a fun sort of thing to do in an arcade or whatever. But about three years ago, I had just, you know, come off a film and I attended on a whim, I attended a VR kind of exhibition. This was three years ago. This is prior to Oculus, you know, being purchased by Facebook, but there was a DK1, an Oculus DK1 at an event. And I put it on and saw, actually, I think the first experience that I ever saw was a Dos Equis for the beer. It was a sort of an advertisement where you're at a party with the most interesting man in the world. And I put this headset on for the first time ever. And I sat and I did this 10-minute experience in VR. And immediately my world just shifted. And I saw the opportunity. I saw the possibilities. And I saw this as a medium that was ready to deliver entertainment. And at that point, you know, I mean, I produced a couple, you know, I produced a television show for a while and I did some films, 
but I saw this as a real opportunity to make a new path in a completely unknown area, and it was a real challenge. And so that's, at that point, about three years ago, I decided, well, you know, we're going to see, you know, how deep this rabbit hole goes. And that was three years ago, and now we're, you know, really, we're in release on our first product, the Exorcist Legion VR. What was the creative process like for you when you were creating the Exorcist Legion VR? Well, the creative process started with a, well, we, we knew we wanted to do a horror title because they work so well in VR. And the process basically started with the legal, right? There's a lot of legal involved with, and there's a lot of negotiation involved with actually getting the license for the, the title because we dealt with uh, Morgan Creek here in Los Angeles. But once that was settled and we had those VR and basically the entire mediated reality spectrum rights, we began with just doing a creative brief. You know, what do we like and what do we like about VR experiences? What don't we like? How can we turn this, how can we expand on this story that we're currently working with and make it an episodic experience? And so we just basically created a brief. It was a, almost like a Bible. And it was about 25 pages long with, with all the bells and whistles that we wanted to see on, you know, on paper. And, and then what we did was we started approaching some, de- some developers who, you know, I had basically been cultivating relationships with a lot of different development teams across the globe. In fact, you know, like Los Angeles, Florida, Italy, Finland, the UK, everywhere. And we found a developer that we really had got a previous experience that we really liked called uh, Chair in a Room, Greenwater. And we sat down with that team, Wolf and Wood, in the UK, and we fleshed out the creative, we fleshed out the deal points, and then we just, using our creative brief as a roadmap, we just started building it out, breaking it up into what would make a good episode one, what would make a good episode two, and so on. And basically that's, you know, we've been in production now for, we started production almost a year ago, and we've now done four of the five chapters or episodes of the title, and in fact, Chapter 5 is currently recording voice over for that title right now. In fact, while this call is going on, our creative director is working with the performer to get some performance out of them for Chapter 5. So we're, we're on the home stretch. But that's basically, in a nutshell, that's the process. It's quite an involved process, but we move faster than most, I think, in getting these things out the door. And here is an update. Since the time that we recorded this interview, Fun Train has indeed gotten the episodes four and five of the Exorcist Legion VR out the door. Those are currently available for multiple platforms. We have it on Oculus Rift, on the Oculus Store, we have it on the Steam Store. As of October 9th, 2018, those platforms will include PlayStation. I'm going to strap on a headset in my imagination. Uh-huh. And I'm going to ask you to take me through any one of the published episodes you have so far. Without doing spoilers, what are some of the things that we're going to experience here? Well, okay, well, I'll tell you how we get into Chapter 1, because that's the easiest. So you, your character, following sort of the storyline of The Exorcist 3, the film, you start off as a homicide police detective in the Boston Homicide Police Department, or the Homicide Division at the Boston Police Department. And you are, it's just a humdrum day at work, and you're in the precinct, and you're going into your office, and 
you receive a call over the radio that there has been a ritual murder at a local church in town. So just like any other normal homicide detective, you head on over there to the church. Once you arrive at the scene, you find it's already sort of been laid out with evidence markers, et cetera, for you to sort of, you know, to do your investigation as to what might have gone down. And you come upon a priest who was sort of brutally murdered in his own confession booth. And the pieces, so basically you start putting pieces together as to what might have happened to this man going into his back office, you discover a variety of clues and backstory and information, which basically tells you that this priest, in addition to just being the priest of this parish, he was also a researcher into the supernatural and the paranormal, and he was on the trail of what he believed to be the resurgence of this demonic presence that had risen up again in the greater Boston area. So he also had been collecting a variety of sort of arcane or exorcism tools, so to speak, that he was completely doing on his own. You know, he was kind of a rogue agent from the Vatican. He was, you know, nobody would really take him seriously, but he was doing this on his own because he found it was important. And you essentially take up his, you follow the sort of the breadcrumbs that he has laid out for you throughout the five chapters. So at the end of chapter one, you're collecting these items and you're doing your investigation. There's a presence at the church, and I won't ruin this for your listeners, but there's a presence at the church that threatens the player and sort of wards them off and says, in essence, you should stop. Stop. Don't go any further. We already took care of this priest. You need to don't go any further, basically. Stop your investigation, which, of course, you know, doesn't happen. So here you know, in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, you're on the trail of this larger force, and all the while, along the way, there are several entities in your way as you march towards our chapter 5 climax. You know our listeners are going to want to go further just hearing this. Oh, that's good. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's good. Before we go on, how do they get more information about the Exorcist Legion VR? Well, either at the Fun Train website, which is funtrainvr.com, or they can go to the actual experience website, which is exorcistlegion.com. Funtrainvr.com, exorcistlegion.com. And, of course, this was a hit movie in the 1970s that scared the daylights out of everybody, so we maybe should add a little disclaimer. This is probably not for the faint of heart, and it's almost certainly not for very small children, but it is brilliantly done. I've seen this online. It's pretty amazing. I'm curious, in the course of doing this, was there any one moment that scared the daylights out of you or your crew, even though you knew it was coming? Oh, sure. In fact, you know, that's such an interesting question. There's parts of these chapters, they're each, what we tend not to do is focus on jump scares because they're kind of overdone in horror titles. We focus on mood and tone and, and sort of psychological tension, but we do have a couple moments in each of these chapters that are jarring or unsettling or an outright jump scare. And even now, chapter two, there's a moment in chapter two that we all on the team over here have, we've probably done chapter two with all of our alpha and beta testing, and we've probably done it 50, 60 times, right? And all the variations of exploring every nook and cranny of of that uh, chapter, but there's still one moment in, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but there's one moment that still, if 
I'm not prepared for it well in advance, I scream. And it's amazing to do something 50 or 60 times and still, if I let my guard down for one moment and I forget for just a moment that this story beat is coming, I literally, I mean, I, I do a little yelp, you know, like, and it's kind of embarrassing, especially when I'm, you know, when other people are around. There's a moment in Chapter 2 that gets me every time. Also, we just did the alpha testing for Chapter 5 right now. And there are two particular moments that, you know, we scripted them. You know, we know what they look like on paper. We've talked about them. We've seen the character models. We're fully prepared for these scares. But yet, in the alpha, even without the music and without the proper textures and without everything else, it just scares the daylights out of me. So that, to answer your question... Those are two, there's a moment in chapter two and a moment in chapter five, which I think are really, they get us even now. Listeners beware because you're going to get a great scare. Yeah. That's entertainment right there. That's fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> what was one of the best creative challenges that you had in making this, pun intended, a reality, this vision? Well, I come out of a film and television background as, you know, as the CEO of Funtrain. I don't, we're not, I don't have a development background, so... And also, I'm used to scripted content, right? We have a screenplay, we have a pilot episode, we have a, or what have you. Telling a story in virtual reality or, or in episodic virtual reality, which is what we focus on, is how do you script that? You know, what is a, what does a script even look like that you can follow? In movies and television, it's very, it's kind of, there's a standard practice on how to begin with your story. But in VR, the biggest creative challenge was understanding how to lay this out in a way that we could all be on the same page and see it collectively as a group with any sort of consistency. So that was, I think that was the biggest creative challenge in the beginning, just what does a VR narrative look like? Because there's games. We're very different. We're not necessarily a game where you're just moving through an environment, you're shooting waves of zombies that come at you, or or driving a car around a track. This is actually a story with a plot and narrative beats that we need to ensure that the player hits all along the way, but at their own leisure. So that interactive element is the wild card element to the storytelling, and how can we ensure that the user hits this dramatic beat or this narrative element or this reveal at the time that we want them to hit that? And, of course, in a fully kind of, in a free-form virtual environment where you can go anywhere and do anything. You know, we're not on rails, so you can literally explore it, any part of the environment at, in any order that you want. So taking that into consideration, our biggest challenge was first scripting this, scripting out this story and what the beats are and what does it even look like, and then making sure that the users hit those beats in the order that we want them to hit them and so that the story can actually progress from point A to point B to point C. That was definitely the big, and continues to be a challenge, but it's something that we're, we, get, we get better and better at as we move through this episodic process. If you had to recommend any kind of resources to anyone else who's a creative entrepreneur as you are that wants to know more about creating VR content, what would you recommend? Well, I think that everybody that is going to create VR needs to have a basic understanding of like the engines that are used, the big engines that are used to create it right now, there's either Unity or there's Unreal. And I think anybody that wants to get a foothold or start should at least have a cursory understanding 
of these game development engines and have just, you know, sort of like a, a novice level of exposure to them, first and foremost. Like, so they know what the process is for going from a concept on paper to at least a mock-up. I think that's really important to have a basic technical understanding of the process. The second kind of creative resource, I know this sounds silly, but just get a, you know, play, use VR. I mean, use it a lot and understand what you like and what you don't like. I mean, it's sort of the wild west right now of VR content out there and nobody knows sort of what works and what doesn't. So go out there and watch and look at everybody's successes and look at their failures and see where you fit as a creator into all this and what type of content are you interested in making. If you're interested in making shooters, well, then, you know, focus on that. But if you're like us, it's more into, like, story-driven or a type of, you know, content, then focus on that and just explore that as much as you can. I mean, and I know that you can't just become a television producer by just watching TV and you can't become a filmmaker just by watching movies. But I think in VR right now, having a basic understanding of what the lay of the land is first is valuable to know what is out there and what's working and what's not. And a cursory understanding of one of the game engines, either Unity or Unreal, how to basically build something from, you know, very rudimentary, I think is incredibly valuable. And then using that information, seek out other like-minded people who can help you. Because if you want kind of a creative resource, you cannot do this alone. You need creative, you need like-minded people who are also interested in the technology and the space, and you need to be around them. That's my only advice on how to get started. It's interesting. I hear that again and again with innovation. Nobody does insert name of innovation here alone, be it VR, be it autonomous vehicles, be it anything. What are some of the new technologies as we move forward that you're going to be looking forward to putting into your future production? Well, wireless, for sure. These standalone six degrees of freedom, the standalone six degrees of freedom wireless experience. You know, I think that tether that is still a little bit of a hindrance on really being immersed because we want to really immerse people in stories. We want them to forget the outside world. We want them to forget that they're even in a game at a certain point. That's our goal, you know, and that wire always is a reminder that, oh, yeah, I've got a headset on. So we're already working with a company called TPCast who delivers a wireless peripheral for the headset, for the Vive, and for the Oculus. But in the next year or so, we will be looking at, like, maybe how can we – we're excited about the idea of wireless six degrees of freedom headsets. I mean, that's the first one. Obviously, eye-tracking – or is really important for people that are trying to tell stories in virtual reality. Because when you can determine where the user is looking at any given point, you can deliver information based on those gazes. So that's also a technology that we're really interested in tracking. Who knows how far away that is, but hopefully not more than a couple of years. The Exorcist will, and all of our SunTrain products will, though, evolve and are designed to evolve as the technology evolves because we know that it's constantly changing over the next four to five years. I mean, we're in the earliest phases of VR right now. I, I liken it to those cell phones that we had back in the 90s, those big bricks, you know, and then these flip phones. That's where the mobile technology was back then. That's sort of where VR headsets are right now. And if you just look at how fast mobile technology moved, 
from the 90s to now. I mean, now we have smartphones that can literally turn off the lights in our homes. So, and I'm really excited about the speed at which VR and AR and, and MR technology in general will accelerate. We live in an incredible time. I know. With these new technologies, is there anything that you would like to hint at that will be your next project after The Exorcist is out? Well, we can't predict. It's hard to predict what these, these new technologies are going to be or the timeline that they'll be released, right? But I can tell you that our next title, I mean, we, we are focused on, we're really committed to this episodic, short-form release of content that is sort of high-quality, priced very conservatively so that it's accessible to people. But our next titles are going to also going to be narrative and episodic in nature, and they're going to be based on some large intellectual property. But as far as how the technology, you know, basically they're going to be designed as taking our current technology into consideration. So we're not going to try to design a product for technology that's going to, or an experience for a technology that may not release for another year. Because our real goal right now is to get as many people into our experience as possible now and not be too forward-looking because it's like looking into a very, very dirty crystal wall to try to determine where the technology is going to be at any given time. I love that image. (laughs) If you had to share one favorite story about creating the Exorcist Legion VR, what would it be? My favorite story so far is, gosh, there's so many. I think I don't know. It's not my favorite story, but it's my favorite moment. I think the real moment that was exciting for all of us here was that moment where we launched chapters one and two. We had been talking about, you know, virtual reality as an entertainment medium for several years. You know, like I said, three years. When we launched last November, chapters one and two consecutively on the Steam and Oculus platforms, that was a, just a real highlight because everything that we had kind of thought about and dreamed about and planned for was coming to fruition. So that is, you know, I've done movie releases before, I've done television releases before, but those all are sort of, they all have a very set in stone process and you kind of, it's easy to go from one to two to three to four to five to get to where you want to be. But in VR, we really didn't know, we didn't have the process down. So, by hitting that milestone of that release of chapters one and two, it was just uh, it was a big celebration because it just felt like the real call, the all of the work and all of the kind of vexing that we had done over the several years was finally paying off, you know. And luckily, people liked it. That's the silver lining, you know. Luckily, it found an audience, and it found an audience that continues to grow. Finally, if people could only get one thing from you and your work about innovation creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to get from you? I'd like them to get, well, such a complicated question. It shouldn't be, but I think what I would like people to get from this, at least from listening to this podcast, is that, I don't want to sound glib, nothing is inaccessible if you put your mind to achieving it. Again, I came out of a film and television background, didn't know the first thing about virtual reality other than I was a fan. And I had been for many years. But, but I sort of put my nose to the grindstone and the people at the company, my other co-founders, they put their nose to the grindstone. And we just sort of forced this 
company and the products into existence by just sheer will. So tenacity and and not giving up. I mean, these these sound so sort of glib, but that is that's what I want them to take away from this: is that just because you don't know anything about a certain area doesn't mean that you can't excel in it if you apply yourself properly and be smart about your time. That's it. Douglas, thank you for your time today. You're welcome. You and I have been listening to Douglas Neighbors, filmmaker and founder, CEO of Los Angeles-based virtual reality publisher FunTrain. FunTrain has now released chapters four and five of their episodic VR experience, The Exorcist Legion VR. The Exorcist Legion VR is available for multiple platforms, which will include PlayStation as of October 9th, 2018. Gamers who've played this are rating it intense, terrifying, and not to be missed. You'll find more information on the Exorcist Legion VR at exorcistlegion.com. Once again, that's exorcistlegion.com. And you can also find information on the Exorcist Legion VR and on additional projects FunTrain is creating in the future on funtrainvr.com. That's funtrainvr.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to additional Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.